So we are going to be looking at Joshua for the next couple weeks. Um, and I'm really, really excited to take a look at it. Uh, normally, I've explained to you guys, sometimes it's hard for me to pick what to talk about or what we should look at. But this one kind of came pretty easily to me, and there's just so much in Joshua that we can look at. So um, as you can see, we're going to be looking at Joshua for a few Sundays, and we're going to be focusing on what we can learn about obedience. The book of Joshua is full of so many things for us to learn from. And so the hardest part preparing for all this was deciding just on how to go through the book or what to do with it. And so what I've decided on is what we'll do is each week we'll kind of start with getting the context as to what's going on with the big picture of the Israelites. And then we're going to zoom in on a specific scene in that story so that we can see what we can learn from it, what happens, what conspires, and what we can take from that. And so normally... I always start with some type of real life story or segue uh, that relates to what we're going through. But today, honestly, I don't have that because I'm just excited to get going and what we have. So let's see what we can uh, learn from that. So as promised, we are going to start with a big picture context of what's happening, what's going on in the story of the Israelites. So this is going to take just a second, but it's really, really important for us to understand where the Israelites are at when we start, because it has so many implications to what we can learn from it. So we're going to be starting, if you want to go ahead and flip there, we're going to be starting with the first few verses of Joshua. And the first thing that you need to know about this book is that it starts off with the death of Moses. And I would say it's definitely unusual to start a story off with death, but unlike a lot of how other books are organized in the Bible, the book of Joshua picks up directly after the book in front of it, Deuteronomy. Um, so Deuteronomy is the book right before, and it's the fifth book of the Bible, and it kind of marks the end of a big section of the Bible because the first five books of the Bible are traditionally called the Pentateuch or the Torah. Those are just the main books in that section right there. And so these five books give an overall story of God selecting his people, the promises that he gives them, and it's the beginning of the fulfillment of those promises. And so what's important for us today is where this huge section of history ends. So some of us may be familiar with the stories, but what happens in the Pentateuch, in those first five books, is God promised the people of Israel a land that would be just for them. He led them to that land, God led them there, but they whined, they complained, and they rebelled against what God had commanded them to do. And so because of that, they were forced to wander in the wilderness for 40 years before they could enter into the promised land. And Deuteronomy ends with the people finishing their 40 years of wandering, and at this point, the only thing between them and the promised land was a river, the Jordan River. And what's important to know is that Moses had led these people for 40 years, and he had led them through some serious stuff, all right? So I've made a little list here just so you can visualize everything that I'm going to list out. So Moses was the one who confronted the evil and powerful Pharaoh. Moses was the one who brought the awesome, terrifying plagues against Egypt. He, he was the one who was the conduit that parted the giant Red Sea so that they could walk across he also called down heaven from, or sorry, bread from heaven when they were hungry. And he was also the one who received the word from God on Mount Sinai. So he was the guy, right? At this point in the history of the Bible, 
Moses was the only Israelite in covenant fellowship with Yahweh, with God. All right, he was super important. He was the mediator between God and Israel. And the three verses at the end of Deuteronomy, they, that come directly before what we're going to look at, uh, is Deuteronomy 34, uh, and it's verses 10 through 12. Like I said, it's right before. Oh, I didn't put that on there. I apologize. Go back to Moses. There we go. All right, so I'm just going to read it to you. If you want to flip, it's just the page before. So the last three verses, 10 through 12, and it says, There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent to him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. So those three verses show how incomparable Moses was. There was nobody that could be Moses. There was no one as great as Moses until the one greater than Moses came, which was Jesus. So Moses was huge. All right, he was a big deal. And now, where we're going to be starting in the beginning of Joshua, Moses has died. And I wanted to set all that up to make sure that we all understood what a monumental scene was happening whenever we start with Joshua. Moses was the servant of the Lord, he was all the people knew as a connection to their God. So imagine how the people of Israel felt at this point. The Moses was gone, and a huge river stood between them and the promised land that they were told they were going to have. And that's where the book of Joshua begins. It's not really a good spot to begin, honestly. But that's where we're going to be picking up. But now, we also need to know a little bit about the follow-up after Moses. And that is obviously Joshua. Joshua is going to be the leader to step into that role. He can ultimately be understood as the second command to Moses while he was alive. He was a military leader. And he was a pretty good one at that. He won a lot of battles, right? And he led the Israelites through all those battles. His actual introduction in the Bible is the battle against the Amalekites, which some of us might be familiar with, but it was just a really significant victory for Israel. But other than that, he was also one of the the 12 men that were initially chosen to sneak into and give a report on the promised land. We actually mentioned that in Sunday school this morning. So out of those 12, Joshua and another man, Caleb, were the only two that believed the promises of God and trusted that the land would be delivered to them. But the other 10 men reported back to Israel that they were scared. There was huge people there. They didn't think it was going to work. And so all the other Israelites followed suit. They believed them. And that's what started their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness to begin with. But other than that, Joshua was also officially commissioned by Moses as the one to take over once he died. Before Moses died, there was a moment where he actually commissioned him in front of everybody, in front of Israel. And so Joshua, by all standards, was a great guy to become a leader of a nation. But in the shadow of Moses, the people had no idea what to expect and what would be coming. All of this is important to know as we begin reading. Knowing what has transpired so far for the people of Israel, how they would feel, and specifically knowing the station that Joshua was trying to enter will give us a lot of insight into things that we will look at as we move forward. So now, we've got the story, we've got the setup, so now let's actually take a look at Joshua. So we're going to be looking at Joshua 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. So if you're there, that's where we're going to be. 
So let's start. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am going to give them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. All right, so uh, hopefully that wasn't too long, but that's what we're going to be taking a look at. So as we get started, the first thing I have to bring up is why I decided to call this a case study on obedience. That's what we're going to be looking at the next couple weeks. And so we see here, the book opens with God talking to Joshua. But the thing is, God doesn't just talk to Joshua. He commands Joshua. He gives Joshua a list of things to do. And the reason that this is going to be a case study on obedience is because the rest of the book of Joshua follows the spirit of those commands. One of the really important threads through the book, which... um, Mr. Brian, he used that word Wednesday night, and I loved that. It's a thread that you can look at throughout the rest of the book. It's looking at what Joshua and the Israelites do in terms of obeying God's initial commands right here, what he delivers here. And the very first thing we can do at studying obedience is looking at what God commands and his instructions on how to obey those commands. So we take a look at what God is stating, uh, what Joshua and the Israelites are probably all worried about. The very first thing he says in verse, uh, what is that? Verse two, he starts off and he says, Moses, my servant is dead. And this isn't just God acknowledging the obvious here. The end of Deuteronomy said that Moses was gonna die. Verse one had already said that Moses was gonna, or that Moses had died. And so he's not just stating the obvious here, okay? He's um, doing something deliberate. He says, yes, Moses is dead. But he continues on and explains to Joshua that his plan has not changed. Nothing has surprised God here. He said to Joshua, you still need to get up and you still need to go across the river into the land that I have promised for you. And God describes the land that he will give them. That's what the next couple verses are. And he informs Joshua that just as he was with Moses, so he will be with him. And then, probably one of the most popular phrases in the Old Testament, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So as we pause right here, there's already so much we can learn about obeying God. The first is that circumstances do not change the promises of God. All right, I'm gonna say that again. Circumstances do not change the promises of God. Things that happen to us, things that seem to change the very dynamics of our lives, do not surprise God or mess up God's plan. 
for the Israelites and Joshua in that moment, Moses dying was one of the biggest challenges that could have ever occurred for them. That was a big deal. He was the conduit for them to God. So him dying was huge. They didn't have the servant of God anymore. The only person they knew as their mediator was gone. But God explains to them, hey, nothing has changed. This moment of Moses passing didn't mess anything up. God's promise still holds true. He's still going to deliver them. All right? But God explains to them, nothing's changed. The plan is still for Israelites to cross the river and gain possession of the land, just like he was with the people before Moses died. The same as it was then, it will be now. So God reassures Joshua that the plan is still on. It's going to happen. God's faithfulness doesn't depend on the achievements of a man, Moses. His faithfulness does not depend on some person. And God's faithfulness doesn't go away when facing a river or a hard time. It doesn't just back away. And the same goes for us today. We are all swayed and pulled by the circumstances of our lives every day. And those circumstances don't have to have to do with anyone dying. Our circumstances could be losing a house or losing a job or things happening within our families, all the drama that happens. And sometimes it might even be things that aren't even that big. Maybe it's we think people are upset with us or people are gossiping about us. But whatever the case may be, in our sinfulness, we are very much pushed and pulled and swayed by the circumstances of our lives. We get worried, just like the Israelites did. We worry and become anxious. We're not sure how things are going to work out. We don't know what's going to happen. Anytime things are unsure, we begin to wonder. We can let ourselves get worked up about what's going to happen. But just like it was with Joshua, again, circumstances do not change the promises of God. And just like with Joshua, again, God's faithfulness does not hinge on the achievement of a certain man. It doesn't achieve on something that we do. God's promises do not depend on what we accomplish. They do not depend on what I call, this, I've kind of coined this phrase, our self-inflicted, or sorry, self-inflicted measures of success. And what I mean by that is we always look inward and look at how much I'm doing. Am I doing really good? Am I succeeding at everything? Am I failing at what God has put in front of me? That's all self-inflicted. God is not surprised by circumstances, and his plans are not messed up by something that happens in our lives. And here's something that's hard for us to live with. For the Israelites, in that moment, the promise God was talking about is being delivered into the promised land, the land of milk and honey. They were closing out the 40 years of wandering, and they were going into a physical place and getting something nice. They were going to get what had been promised to them. They were having land. They were going to have food. It was going to be a good life. That's what was promised to them. What's hard for us to accept sometimes is that when we say God's plan is not messed up, we're not talking about a better future here on earth. All right? For us today, our promised land is not a life of milk and honey. Our promised land is not nice things that we want to have, and it's not a guarantee that bad things won't happen to us. That is not the promise that we have today. But that's what we want. And so when I say God's faithfulness doesn't go away in hard times, I'm not saying that God is promising to make things look better in an earthly way. I'm not asking that people, I'm not saying God is promising to heal everything or to make everything better or that you're going to get a promotion or you're going to find a different job. That's not what I'm saying God promises. 
I'm saying that we can still depend on the fact that God is sovereign. We can still trust in the promise of Christ that we are guaranteed access to God. That is our promise. Our promised land is an eternity with God. Sorry. All right, so no matter what our circumstances may be, whether it looks successful or not in our own eyes, whether we think we're doing a good job or we think everything's failing, God is still with us and we can still trust in the sacrifice of Christ that we are children of God. And that's the plan that I'm referring to that can't be messed up. But just like the Israelites, we still doubt. So they doubted getting into the promised land. Sometimes we still doubt that we're going to end up with God. We doubt that we are good enough to end up with God. And so there are so many parallels between the Israelites and us. The Israelites had so many things that they could look to as an assurance of God's strength and power. As I was studying, this was one of the things that really hit me really hard. So the Israelites, they could look to the times that God saved them and delivered them from Egypt. They could look at the time when everything seemed impossible, but God parted the Red Sea to make an army, to uh, help them escape from an army, from Pharaoh's army. They could look to the times in the wilderness when they were hungry and thirsty and God delivered both food and water. They had all these things that they could look back on and still be assured, but they still doubted. We can do the same thing. We can look at God's um, actions that he's done for us and still doubt for some reason, even though we know it's there. So we can look at God sending his son to earth to live a perfect life and die on the cross for our sins. We have the fact that there's an empty tomb after three days because Christ defeated death. And we have the fact that we have an indwelling spirit and that God is living with us in our hearts and that we have access to God 24-7. But just like the Israelites, we have all these amazing things that we can look back at and we can still wonder and we can still doubt. We still allow our circumstances to tell us that we're in trouble. And so because of that, God still makes his glory known to us. He gives commands and he assures us as his people. He tells us that he will never leave us or forsake us. And this is one of the promises that we know we can apply to ourselves today as well as Joshua there especially because we see this promise used in the New Testament. And this is really, y'all know I love that. Anytime there's a thread going from Old Testament to New Testament, I love that stuff. And so where it's used can give us a lot of insight into other parts of what we're going to look at in just a minute. So the promise that I'm referring to in the New Testament is in Hebrews. And that might be hard to see, but it's Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. And I'll read it to you. So the author of Hebrews in verse 5, he says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? So this verse in Hebrews has a whole different context, but it still uses the same promise. So in Joshua, the statement of never leaving nor forsaking is talking about going into the promised land and assurance of victory over their enemies. That's what God was talking about in Joshua. But here in Hebrews, the author is addressing a totally different topic. We see the author is talking about greed, the love of money, and contentment, which that's one thing to notice, that it will be, and this is going to be really helpful for us as we continue on in just a minute, that the author is talking about a commandment that encompasses emotions. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but the love of money and being content, those are feelings, all right? 
And this is an issue that arises a lot throughout the Bible and one that is really hard for us to wrap our, our minds around because God commands us to have certain feelings or emotions when that's something that we don't have a lot of control over sometimes. Have you ever thought about that, how God commands us to feel certain ways, but that's really hard for us to do? All right? And because we have such little control over our feelings, a lot of times this leads to feelings of failure when it comes to commandments on how you're supposed to feel. So that makes a lot of sense. If God tells me to be content with what I have, but I just don't feel content, then I feel like a failure, right? But there's a word in this verse that comes into super important play. The word for right there. Uh, if I had a pointer, I'd point at it. But it's right in the middle of verse five. And it says, uh, so when we are given a commandment and it's followed by the word for, then we're being given a method or a reason or a basis on how to follow that commandment. So it's saying, be content for something. He's gonna give you a reason, a way to do that, right? So in Hebrews, we're commanded to keep away from the love of money and content with what we have for or because he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we use this promise that God gave Joshua to help us uh, have the basis of how we should follow command about our emotions. We can keep away from the love of money because we know God is always with us. And we can keep our emotions in check because we can apply the promise that God gave to Joshua into our own lives and know that God will never leave us either. And what's even better is the author of Hebrews gives us a belief that we can have because of that, because of that promise. Verse six, I included that because I wanted us to see there's a belief that we're supposed to have because of that promise. It says, so, so we can confidently say, that means we can believe, we can be fully convinced of whatever comes next. And what came, comes next, it says, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? All right, and that's a quote from a different part of scripture in Psalms, that's Psalms 118.6. So based on this promise, we can fully believe that God is our helper. We can fully believe that we don't have to fear. The question here has an implied answer. So that question, what did it say, what can man do to me? The implied answer is nothing, all right? What can man do to me? Nothing. And that clearly doesn't mean that other people will never harm you or hurt you or talk about you. They're gonna hurt your feelings. You're gonna get hurt physically. That's not the assurance here, okay? But the assurance that I know God is with me, so nothing man does to me will be of enough importance to allow me to fear the future. Nothing that man does to me is going to allow me to fear what is coming, right? Uh, so God doesn't give us this promise and assurance to downplay the harshness of reality. That was one thing I read that I really liked as well. He doesn't give us this promise and say, what you're going through doesn't really matter. That's not what he's saying. What we understand, life is hard, life hurts, but the good news, the promise that God gives us it here is enough to confront and overcome whatever it is that we face. The promise that God gives us is enough to overcome that. So here in Hebrews, we're shown three things. We're, we see that the promise given all the way back in Joshua can apply to us today. We can see that this promise to follow commands com, uh, concerning emotions comes into play. And then we can see the promise to not fear. So now, let's rewind all the way back to Joshua and let's take all we gleaned from he Hebrews and see what else we can apply to the rest of these verses. So we had left off in verse five of Joshua. 
And so beginning in verse 6, we notice another common phrase that you've probably heard from the Bible quite a few times. It says, be strong and courageous. So that's verse 6. And not only does God say this to Joshua in verse 6, but he says it two more times in verse 7 and verse 9. So in verse 7, he says, only be strong and very courageous. And then down in verse 9, looking there, he says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? So obviously, when anybody, if your mother-in-law says something to you three times, that's important to pay attention to. If your wife says something to you three times, you need to pay attention, right? But this is God talking. He said something three times. We got to pay attention to it. It's got to be important, right? So um, we know it means something for Joshua, and we know he needs to hear it. Because remember, Joshua, remember back what we talked about, remember Joshua is having to follow up Moses as the leader of Israel. Again, those were huge shoes to fill. There's no way that he couldn't be nervous about it. There's no way. And God knew that. God understood that. So he tells Joshua three times. He tells him to be strong and courageous. And what do you know? Is that not another command about emotions? Isn't being strong and courageous emotions again? That's just like we talked about before. So we mentioned how Joshua is supposed to feel. How is he supposed to feel in this moment? God is telling him to move into the land but not just in any type of way. He doesn't say go into the land all sad and mopey. He says, you shouldn't be showing any doubt, any fear. You should be strong and courageous. So you should be moving forward like you know that the God of creation is with you, that the God who delivered you from Egypt and parted the Red Sea is with you. And one author that I looked at put it this way. He said, Joshua is not told to grit his teeth and screw up his courage on his own. He is to be strong only because Yahweh is with him and not because Yahweh prefers leaders who are positive thinkers, but only because Yahweh is with him, only because God is with him. So he's not told to do it because he needs to have the right attitude and he's not to do it with his own strength. He's called to be strong and courageous because he believes in the promise that God gave him, that he will not leave him. So God tells Joshua in verses seven and eight, so if we keep looking, I'm going to read through this. It says, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to go to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. For then you will have, uh, make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So God tells him, he's saying, be strong and courageous, depending only on God, because God is the one with him. And then God tells him that he needs to know God's word. He needs to know his commandments. He needs to meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do all that it says. This is exactly, uh, exactly what Troy was telling us in Sunday school just a few minutes ago. The, uh, right here in Joshua, it says, be careful to do all that it says. And this is, instruction is given to us all throughout the Bible. It's everywhere. Uh, one, just one of the verses says, uh, Psalm, Psalm 1-2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. We have to do the same thing that Joshua was commanded to do. Being strong and courageous following God's command requires us to be in his word. Life in the kingdom of God must live out the word of God. I'm going to say that again. Life in the kingdom of God must be lived out in the word of God. 
living a life that's pleasing to God does not arise from experiences or warm feelings or anything like that. It comes from the word of God that he has already given us in the form of his word and obedience to that word. And then finally, the last verse, verse 9 that we're looking at, God tells Joshua again, be strong and courageous. But he continues on and he says, do not be frightened. And to, uh, he says, do not be dismayed for, there's that word again. Remember, we said it's important when uh, there's a word for after a commandment. It's going to give us a basis on wh- how to do what was just commanded. It says, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the theme of obedience. This is a theme of obedience that we're going to see throughout the whole book of Joshua as we continue for the next couple weeks. There is a call to obedience. There is a call to follow God's word. But it's never dependent on human effort alone. We do have to try. It's not just going to fall in our laps and be easy. We do have to put in effort. But it's not just on human effort. It's dependent only on the fact that God is with us wherever we go. We know this is still true for us today because we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We have this access to God. He's with us everywhere we go. And so as we continue to move forward with our lives, we have to remember that circumstances, our own successes, our own failures, they don't give us the strength to live a life to please God. But trusting in his promises and staying in his words, in his word, that's how we follow God's command. That's how we obey what God tells us to do. And the last thing, uh, people say this all the time. It's always funny whenever you're getting ready to speak or preach or talk to somebody and God puts something small in your life to just kind of push the fact that, yeah, this is what you need to be talking about. This morning, on the way to church, uh, my wife asked for her phone. She wanted to pick out what music we were listening to. And one of the songs that she played just super hit me exactly what we were talking about. It's a song by Shane and Shane. I don't remember what it's called, but the bridge of the, of the song, it says this, I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. You're my savior, my defense, no more fear in life or death. And I thought that fit perfectly. That's what we're talking about. Whenever we trust in the promises of God, we're not going to fear anything, life or death, because we know the future that is before us. Our future, our promised land, remember, is eternity with God. We don't have to be worried. We know how the story ends. We know we're going to be with God. We know we're going to be with Christ again. And so he is our defense. He is our reason and our basis for being able to obey and follow his commands. And so I hope that we can remember that as we move forward. Um, As Michelle comes forward, um, we'll end with prayer real quick, but I hope that we can keep this in mind. This theme that we talked about this morning, we're going to use it the next couple weeks. We have to know this as we talk about what comes next. And But as we go forward in our lives today and the rest of the week until we come back, just remember God gives us a way to live this way, a way to live strong and courageously. He gives us a way, and it's by trusting that he will never leave us. That comfort should be enough for us to follow his ways. That comfort should be enough for us to live the way that he wants us to. And so we just have to do our part in trusting in that. All right. So let's pray real quick, and then we'll continue. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this uh, book of Joshua that you give us and just a showcase on obedience. And thank you for giving us the way to be obedient, how we're supposed to do it. Thank you for giving us that, God. 
I pray that we would keep that with us, keep that in our minds and our hearts as we try to live out a life for you day to day, and that it wouldn't be something that we just forget and put on the back burner, but we are consciously believing that you're with us, and that no matter what comes in our life, whatever circumstances there are, that we can continue forward because we can trust in you and trust that you're there. God, be with us this morning. Help us to glorify your name in everything that we do. And we just love you so much. Amen.